to another episode of Dice Talk. For this episode, we have another special guest, Tiana Hansen. We are going to be focusing on a pretty big topic today, and that topic is going to be magic. And we're going to talk about everything about magic, spells, different effects, abilities, even spell casters. But before we get into things, Tiana, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners, um, tell them who you are, and make a list of all those things that you are involved with. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pretty long list these days. Uh, Hi, I'm Tiana. I can be found on Twitter at uh, Vanna1895. Um, I am part of Roll for Weird with Jeremy and Gerundia, where I play Misty the Spellslinger. Um, I'm also part of Dungeons and Dreamers for one more week uh, as as Riri the Aarakocra monk. Um, And then over on my home channel is Quests in Chaos, where I play D&D and Call of Cthulhu and all of the fun things. We're starting to put more board game stuff out as restrictions loosen a bit in our corner of the world. Uh, Yeah, I do a little bit of everything. And then, of course, we have Gerundu. Hello. So like I said a moment ago, the three of us are going to be trying to tackle a pretty big topic here. Um, We're going to be talking about magic, just in general. So first thing that comes to mind when you think about Dungeons & Dragons and magic. What comes to mind? Why do you love magic so much? I know it's one of my favorite things about Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, when when you're talking about about magic, it's what really separates um Dungeons and Dragons from just plain medieval world because um if 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 you take away the magic portion of it, it's really just, you know, hack and slash living in a pseudo-medieval fantasy where, you know, Things happen, but it's there, there. There's there's no spark of that magic to it. It's it, it's what separates the medieval from the fantasy, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's true because you can have fantasy without magic. You can have low fantasy where there might be you know a little bit of magic elements to the history, or there might be creatures that wouldn't normally be found on Earth, or you know maybe there's some sort of wizard that's like a one of a kind. But Dungeons and Dragons typically is more of the high fantasy where it. There's not just one wizard, there's a lot of wizards. And even if they are rare, there's a handful of them at least. It's it's still not like like you were saying, it's the difference between just medieval history essentially and creating something that's fantastical. So there are multiple types of uh, magic in Dungeons and Dragons. So there's abjuration, which is mainly just protective spells, uh, conjuration. These are things like transportation or summoning things to you. Uh, divination which allows you to reveal illusions you could also look into the future look into the past uh, basically just reveal things about the world you wouldn't know otherwise there's enchantment spells where you can enchant items but you can also enchant other people or, or other creatures and have some sort of lasting effect on them there's also evocation and this one is interesting because it allows you to manipulate magic and basically just turn it into force so like you are manipulating magic in a way that allows you to create like a firebolt or something. You're a blasty wizard. Right. Uh, well, exactly. And an evocation is my personal favorite school because it's, <laughs> you know, it's fireball. It's all of the things that go boom. That, was, uh, that actually answers a question I uh, hadn't yet asked. So that's good. Um, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's, Jumping ahead of you there. No, it's conversational. I mean, that's the whole point. Um, I, I like transmutation, personally. I think that's the coolest school. The old switcheroo. And that's one that we didn't uh, get to yet. And that one lets you change properties of things, um, such as objects or creatures, to enhance them. What would you say is like one of your favorite things about transmutation magic, Gerundu, since you said it's probably your favorite? Um, I like being able to sort of um, play around with things. Um, it gives, especially if you played a mischievous character, it gives you a chance to sort of make things willfully absurd. But also it gives you access to things like polymorph. You can t- who doesn't like transforming into a T-Rex and munching people or turning an enemy into a chicken or, you know, stuff like that. You know, but true polymorph is one of the more, most powerful spells in the game. You can do some really cool stuff with it um, if you ever get to the level where you can a- acquire such power. But I guess that's another issue in itself. I mean, with as you... Uh, especially with D&D, as you get to the like uh, epic levels, um, the kind of spells that you get access to can sort of like warp reality around you like and cause these in- incredible sort of um, incredibly significant effect. And that must make sort of like managing a high level campaign somewhat difficult. I, I would have thought I've never been in a position to do it myself, but I think I guess that's for, 
food for thought. If your players can, you know, um, get access to the wish spell, for instance, and like completely um, derail <laughs> everything that you've done. Um, well, but 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 wish can be a bit of a monkey's paw too, mm-hmm. because you have to be very specific about what you are wishing to happen and if there's a way for it to go wrong the good dm will find a way for it to go wrong absolutely and i mean that's the that's that's the trick with all of these things but i guess it's just something to think about especially as you you know get that kind of power creep as you get up in in levels um because it's easy to overlook certain things i know with my numenera game i completely neglected to remember that my wizard could fly so i'd like this encounter i had planned out about like a, a an opposed climb with people throwing stuff like rocks down at them and and stuff it was just completely bypassed because he just flew straight up to the top <laughs> <laughs> but that's on that was you know that's my fault that's not the the players aren't to blame for me not taking that into account and it made them feel great so yeah that's something everybody wins that's something i've worried about a little bit too like i've never ran a super high level campaign um because I'm like, man, they're like the spells they have access to, they could do so many mm-hmm. things. I know a lot of you are, are very much like these freelance kind of like you're coming up with things as you go type of DM while I'm the type that plans a lot. So if I plan something really in detail, because, you know, and I'll make maps and stuff. I'm like that. And then you just you all decide to take a trip to the ethereal plane because you have that spell. It's like, OK, well, I guess <laughs> fucking, I guess you're in the ethereal plane now. And there's. There went there went all of those hours yeah, of planning. It's, it's not that I, I mind not planning. It, for me, it's just like, oh, shit, well, I didn't plan that. And, you know, I can come up with it as we go, but I'm the kind of person that's going to wish I had something ready. I like to give you the illusion I've actually thought of everything. <laughs> but, yeah, I had to think of that. I'm, I'm writing another campaign I want to put on uh, DMs Guild, and one of the things is if you're going to take a trip to the ethereal plane at one point. And I thought of a way, okay, this is how I want them to get there, get, get back and things like that. And then I'm like, well, shit, if I make them too high a level, they might just go back and forth on their own and break the whole, the whole plot I set up. So I've actually been thinking about that too, like these high level spells and, and how you really have to think about them and be careful when you're planning a campaign. Well, one of the ways to, to work around that as, as a DM is to look at the, uh, at the components because the higher level spells, especially of things like uh, plane shift and whatnot, tend to have a a cost to them. And I mean, even if you are a fifteenth level character, you may not have access to a bowl that that's worth a thousand gold pieces or something like that. Sure. So you're you're able to limit it a bit more by limiting what's what materials they can get access to. So if it costs something to go back and forth between planes, just make it so that's a very hard thing to obtain. So they have to think about it. I guess that could be a campaign in itself, just acquiring acquiring the material components for a spell of such magnitude, you know? Yeah, and that could be mm-hmm. a, like a legendary quest. I mean, that's like getting the I was going to say like fleece. the labors of Hercules or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, I think, so you said, Tiana, you said your favorite you think would be evocation. I mean, I am a simple person with simple pleasures. I really like dropping fireball on people. Fireball! <laughs> I Fireball! I, I actually built my longest running character, Andras Inialo, over on Chaos Agents. We've been, we, we just hit the two-year mark of having made these characters. Um, and I built her as a light cleric, specifically because I was looking through the domains. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I saw the, the domain spells and light domain had fireball at fifth level. And I said that. I didn't even get to, to light, to uh, any of the other um, domains. I saw light and the fireball and went, that. I want that. I want to be able to drop fireball on people. <laughs> it's nice when something just calls to you like that. It really does. Well, and it's and, and it's a lot of fun. And it turned into a, 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 a really great joke, too, because, I mean, Andraste is named from the Dragon Age games, mm-hmm. where the blessing is, may the light of Andraste shine upon you. In this case, the light of Andraste is probably a fireball because you've made her angry. Yeah, you'd better put some SPF 50 on or something if you're going <laughs> to bathe in that uh, glow. Um, so, I mean, that kind of ties into a, a fun question I wanted to ask is like, uh, for inspirational sources or just in general, is like, do you have a, a favorite fictional spellcaster? I mean, that applies, that question to, to the room. I think my favorite fictional spellcaster is Harry Dresden from the Dresden Files. Mm-hmm. Um, I very much based Misty on him because Misty was supposed to be a one shot character. We see how that went. Um, <laughs> but it, it was very much th- this idea of someone who is, you know, wise, cracking, kind of runs everything by the seat of their pants, but is a lot more powerful than people give them credit for. Mm-hmm. 
that's tough. You know, I don't know if it even counts. Well, he has access. He does magic. That's for sure. But he's not like your standard wizard or something. It, but I think Arthas, the Lich King, is probably like my favorite spellcaster. And he's not a spellcaster in the way that he's like, oh, you know, Vada Kedavra. But he is kind of like, oh, I'm going to resurrect this like dead like weirm like this giant bone dragon from the ice and it's thousand year slumber or like i'm going to blight this land and claim it for the dead like he is he access to magic he's a lich uh, that's conclusively magical yeah, <laughs> yeah very much yeah, so but, you know so i think at least at the moment that that comes to mind and actually that's actually not true i just lied to you definitely i just thought of the real answer and that's ganondorf ganondorf, ganondorf from the legend of zelda is probably my favorite spellcaster because uh, Legends of Zelda is my favorite video game series ever, and Ganondorf is a hard ass. It's true. I think my my favorite is uh, Rincewind from the uh, Discworld novels, the world's worst wizard. He's 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 so much of a coward that he's coming around at being a hero from the other direction. He is so so good. Um, I cannot recommend Discworld novels in in general. Uh, highly enough they're all very very good very very much seconded and in that same vein granite granny weatherwax is granny weatherwax oh the whole all the witches nanny arc too mm-hmm. uh... and magret when, when she could be persuaded to actually do anything yeah uh oh, agnes oh agnes when she changed when she, oh, I, i'm gonna get a brief sidebar she there's a phantom of the opera themed one and she joins the opera and she changes her name because she doesn't think Agnes sounds very good for a, a soprano. So she changes it to Perdita X. And Granny Weatherwax says, says like, uh, why she's she calling herself Perditax. And that's just so <laughs> Granny. I, I, I love Granny. And Granny in the later books with uh, Tiffany Aching, too, was... Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I I can go. We'll I I, I, Discworld, I was gonna say I I, I can go on at length about Discworld because Sir, uh, Sir Terry Pratchett was an absolute genius, and the world is less yes. for his absence. I agree wholeheartedly. Anyway, back on track, <laughs> sort of. So I would say my favorite type of magic. It was actually hard to decide, and it's between the two that are left that I haven't mentioned. So I couldn't oh, yeah, really. It was hard for me to choose if I wanted to go with necromancy which mm. is cool and it's awesome and it, and it has a lot of i feel like it's actually underused a lot by characters and maybe that's because you don't technically you, it tends to be like evil but not really maybe that's why it's underused i think at the very at the very least it's socially awkward to go around digging up people's relatives to, a little bit uh, be friends with well i mean someone it's okay it's better than being <laughs> forgotten or something and then my my favorite i think my actually favorite would probably be illusion magic though mm. and the reason i think illusion magic is the best um or not the best but my favorite and that's i'm to that point in my you know in my stages of playing dungeons and dragons where like combat's cool and all but i like uh, the role play a lot more and i like coming up with interesting solutions um, and illusions is a great way to avoid com- combat all the- altogether. It's also a great way to deceive people or to like come up with some interesting uh, way to like distract an army by like creating some sort of illusion or like I like where you can dress up and act like another character and go in. I know that goes into performance, but it's like I think that's why it's it's my favorite. It's like you can use it in non-combat situations. I would say that minor illusion is one of my favorite um, cantrips. Because it's so versatile, you can do a lot of things with it. That is very true. And well, well, and, and coming back around to necromancy, everyone assumes that necromancy is just like raising the dead and stuff, but it's a lot of shifting of life forces too. Mm-hmm. So my favorite yeah. healing spell is actually a necrotic spell, um, life transference. Where I mean, my 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 character keeps getting yelled at by her teammates for for using it, but you literally pull your own life energy out of yourself. And give twice of, of the damage that you take as healing to the other person. I have used that spell in the play-by text um, with my cler- cleric monk character after <laughs> the other player, Sash, um, shot a little girl because he thought she was a demon host. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> that was like a Hulk Hogan Im- impression wrestling monk oh brother oh god oh brother brother (laughs) (laughs) this little girl oh that's awful yeah but i I, 
I, I really like it because thematically for my character, it makes a lot of sense. She will literally tear her own life out of herself to help the people that she cares about. But that's technically in the necromancy school of magic. So it was uh, Toll the Dead. I am so glad you just said that. I was about to bring that up right now. Uh, you like said cantrip and then we started talking about necromancy again. And I'm like, okay, yeah, Toll the Dead is awesome. To our listeners, if you don't know what that is, because it's not in the player's handbook, it's in Xanthor's Guide to Everything. It is such a good cantrip. And they make a saving throw, so you don't even have to worry about AC. Like, it is such a good spell. It's fantastic. And, and I've, I've, I've often said that if I ever needed to, like, take on other members of my party, that's what I would drop on the rogue over and over again, because it's a wisdom saving throw, and he's bad at those. Yes, if you don't know what that spell is, you should look it up. It's an amazing cantrip. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to describe, too, because, because you can describe it with different, like, bell tones. And one of the things that I enjoy about uh, magic, just kind of in general in role playing, is describing how this otherworldly force interacts with the world as it is, where how you have influenced in D&D the weave um, changes the world around you. I love describing not just like the boom of the fireball, although that's fun, but also, you know, the, the flickering lights of, of uh, fairy lights sure. and, and, all, and all the rest, uh, not fairy lights, fairy fire. Um, or describing the effects of doing life transference. Like, Andrasa did it twice in a single fight, and now she has a little bit of white in her hair and little marks on her neck where she took, where, where she's going to be, like, permanently scarred now because... Yeah, physical, physical lasting toll. Yeah. So, I mean, for the, for the rest of her life, that's probably going to be there because there's an effect on the world and she's paying a price for saving her teammates' lives. I really like that. I like that there's... Um consequences for the use of magic you know um some some people do you know it, it doesn't you don't have to do that but it's just a nice i think it's a nice way to sort of build your own law build your own character law well and also have it have it stay kind of grounded because mm. i mean of course you can change the 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 we, the weft and warp of the world with with magic but if you're not grounded in who these people are then there's no stakes there's no consequences and you stop caring and uh, in my mind at least D is about the story of the characters yeah absolutely mm -hmm. yeah yeah you take a page uh from monster of the week and you kind of when you do as a big spell if you fail or there's something that goes wrong there should be a big consequence there should be like you said a lasting effect and if not something that affects you mechanically, at least something that affects you, uh, the way you look or the way your character behaves, or, or it's something that's brought up again in the future, like it made a dent mm -hmm. in, in the world. And sometimes even if you succeed, you can succeed and still have permanent effects because it, it pulled so much out of you. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I think that's more interesting in a way because, I mean, failure is very interesting, obviously. But if you succeed and there's still a heavy price to pay, it makes me think of the end of Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm where Frodo is so drained by everything that he did that he can't go back to life. Sure. Normal life. He's dabbled in powers beyond his <laughs> comprehension of this model mind. Exactly. Uh, but that, I guess that's the, the, the function of magic, is to allow narratively things to happen that can't um, in the mundane world in which we live. Uh, or at least to provide an alternative means to explain away modern conveniences within a, a medieval fantasy setting uh, which is <laughs> often how it seems to be used in a kind of lazy way sometimes to my mind but uh yeah some of the more is it can is it can be interesting i mean i don't mean to cast aspersions i mean you different strokes for different folks but i think like a magical fridge doesn't appeal to me, for instance. You know? Well, but it's it's interesting to me because I'm in I'm in an Eberron campaign, and the whole idea of it is that the world is based around magic and elemental magic specifically, and so there's things like taxis that are that run regularly. That are there's the there's the the, the lightning rail and things like that, and it, ma it makes you really sit back and think and go, you have people who are able to use. Not just the big mind-blowing spells, but just little things like being able to use prestidigitation to flavor food as a cook. Just little things like that. How, how would that change the culture? How would that change how we look at, at the society? Because I refer to it as being, you know, medieval. But medieval with magic is a whole different aspect. Absolutely. And I think the issue with, the, the issue with, with it is that it needs to be at least internally consistent. 
Otherwise, you get like Silver Age Superman, where every week he has a new unexplained power. <laughs> um, I don't have a problem with uh, high alloy magic settings. I think uh, as long as the, the sort of law behind it, or if, or if not law, then the sort of, I don't know, pseudoscience behind it sort of makes sense. Um, if you know what I mean. And Eberron is a good example of that. It's like very well fleshed out. Um, and society is built around that sort of low-level functionality of magic, uh, replacing technological advancements through conventional science. Um, it's when it's just dropped in out of nowhere. It's like, here's a vending machine. Like, oh, great. Well, and that's something that's something that I appreciate about about the Dresden Files circling back around to to that. Um, you know what the laws of magic mm-hmm. are. And so when some, when when you go into a situation, you have a pretty good idea of what the characters are able mm-hmm. to do, and therefore you're able to feel the stakes of it and how close to failure they actually get. Yeah, and I think that makes sense, given that you know if we if we suspend disbelief to the extent that we allow that wizards and spellcasters and people, well, you know, what whatever you want to call them, manipulators of the uh, weft and weave of the world, as you were. Uh, uh, so eloquently uh, enunciated earlier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> alliteration game, top form. Um, now, bragging about that, I've completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> what was I saying? Well, if, 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 we're, if we're able to suspend disbelief enough to, oh, yes, to have all it. of these if we're, different if we're people. If we're able to suspend disbelief enough um, to allow the um, people who can manipulate magic exist, then... I don't think it's much of a stretch to go one step further and to to allow that people have studied it and you know applied scientific method, uh, so to speak, to to the study of magic. You know, it makes sense, especially if, it, um, mm-hmm. as I say, if you're willing to you know make it consistent with itself uh, within your narrative, then you don't sort of feel cheated as an audience. I guess is the is how it sort of feels. It's like oh. Uh, deus ex machina right because because if you get into situations where they can where they can't do anything about it and then they're just con- and then consistently they pull something out of their back pocket where it's like oh i didn't tell you that i had x y and z you lose the stakes and you lose the story and at that point it's like why should i care anymore because as soon as you're in danger something's going to get pulled out you, you you might as well charge in and do whatever you want because there's no consequences sure, sure. I guess this isn't really so much a, a comment about D and D, in which there very much are consequences, um, but more of just about magic in in pop culture generally. Um, sure. But to sort of steer it back towards a <laughs> <laughs> um, tabletop, you play a number of uh, different systems and games, and um, have used sort of different kinds of magical systems mechanically within those games. So, do you have any other? Like, do you have any particular preference for any um, magical system that you use, or any games that you would like to recommend? Um, definitely one of the more interesting systems is Mutants and Masterminds, and not a lot of people talk about that. But it's one of it's one of my favorite it's my favorite superhero system. And you, in that, you there are several flavors of caster that you can play. I played uh, a summoner, which was basically like pulling spirits from the the outside world to do things that I wanted them to do. Nice. Um, <laughs> and one of my teammates played a a proper magician, where she was was tapping on the powers of the Egyptian gods to be a spellcaster, and she had a tome. And without that tome, man, she couldn't do anything. But that's how shades of Mumra, the ancient spirits of evil. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. And I mean, she had all sorts of secrets and stuff like that, and the storytelling got a little bit odd in there. But on the whole, Mutants and Masterminds was a difficult system to get used to after Dungeons & Dragons because it handles hit points and all the rest of that stuff very differently. Um, But I really loved the storytelling storytelling abilities with that because, I mean, one of my favorite moments, uh, I gained the ability to make portals. Uh, in 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 the game, and I mean, I, st- I I I was thinking about it, and, like trying to figure out how to think with portals because I have never been good at that video game. <laughs> um, and then I realized that we were next to a very large pool, and uh, the enemy was was over there. So I I dropped a portal into the deepest end of the pool, and the other end on top of them. And then my my game master swore at me a lot as he tried to figure out what the weight of a swimming pool worth of water would be dropping on someone's head. 
quite a lot, I would imagine. Water's pretty pretty <laughs> bloody heavy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, some whiplash. And I was able to drop it from high enough up that it was starting to hit terminal velocities. Oh, yeah, that would, that would so... hurt a lot. Yeah, it, that would kill you. I mean, like... He was he was not happy with me, but it was a great moment where it was like, "Hey, now you're thinking with portals." I think it'd be like, it basically be like um, if you were to to be dro- like belly flop from that height. Ow! Just the idea of that hurts. Yeah, if it's sufficiently high enough, that'd be like just landing on concrete. So um. yeah, because the water molecules can't move aside. Yeah. Ah, uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, but 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 mutants and mastermind has a very different way of looking at. Hang on one second. No. <laughs> if you yes. can say, if, you, if your phone rings, you have to tell the whole class what's going on. Come on now, Jada. <laughs> Don't walk away from me while I'm talking to you, damn it. <laughs> yes, Granddad. <laughs> right. Uh, Sorry, the damn landline. That's all right. Uh, I was too busy berating you. So I've never played Mutants and Masterminds, but I have played... Well, really, I haven't played any spellcasters in any other game except Dungeons and Dragons. I guess in um, Roll for Weird for from Monster of the Week, I've, I play Shadow, and he is a bit of a spellcaster, though I've only ever done like two things with magic. But in any game, so Dungeons and Dragons or Mutants and Masterminds or Monster of the Week or anything, what would you say your favorite spellcaster character is that you've played? Or at least what are some interesting ones uh, that are you know notable? Ooh. That's a, as has been pointed out, I play a lot of characters. <laughs> Are there any honorable mentions or anything? So, just something that comes to mind at, at the very least? I mean, Andraste is the first one who comes to mind, obviously, because I've been playing my, my light cleric for over two years. But probably the most interesting spellcaster that I've ever played was Dotha Linzeld. Mm. She was a phoenix sorcerer. And she was a one-shot character, but she was the she she actually managed to end up saving the entire party of rogues and reprobates by 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 a careful use of the of the spell storm sphere. That's the good thing about one shots is it lets you do, I guess it lets you play around with character creation, which to my mind is one of the most fun things about um, tabletop role play games. It's it's making, it's it's, it's great a fun. New person. Well, and 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 Dothala is is a character who works very much. She she was an interesting set set of contradictions. She is a character who works uh, in in the dark as a spy sort of character, mm-hmm. but is a phoenix sorcerer. Phoenixes are kind of not known for being subtle. This is true. <laughs> so the, the 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 back and forth between you smile and smile and smile until you reach out and set with someone on fire was a lot of fun to play with. And I think that may be more the character than the class itself. But I found it really a lot of fun to go from, I am the charismatic sorcerer. I am going to conceal the fact that I speak Thieves' Cant and understand everything that you guys are saying, because rogues, and go from that to, there is a dissenter in front of me and you're going to die and it's going to be horrible. Nice. <laughs> Definitely one of the more interesting characters that I've ever played. Absolutely. How about you, Jeremy? You've got any particularly memorable uh, magical characters? I do. Um, I think my favorite would be uh, Eric the Magnificent. <laughs> I knew I, it. Um, I love I love Eric also. He's see, very, uh, very fun. As he cares for the horses quite a bit. He doesn't want Fine to see horses. no harms done to the horses, no matter what you think they look like. And um, <laughs> Wow, I almost just kept going in his voice. Eric was a, a dwarven wizard, and he, you know, even though I've DM'd for quite a, like a few years, he was the first time I've ever played a wizard myself. So it was really fun playing him. I had access to a lot more spells than I was used to having a a, a pretty deep understanding of the game for being a DM so often. It was fun to kind of like I it's almost like oh I could I could say I could break the game by doing this or that. So it was fun to like push that a little bit but then other times avoid it just out of it being fun. But um the thing about Eric that was really cool is I made him an abjuration uh, focus. So basically anytime I cast a spell it would cause me to gain temporary hit points or in sometimes it would in some cases it would increase my AC temporarily. 
Titan and I was, a, I was a dwarf, so I had access mm. to armor, which is usually the only setback for a wizard. Mm-hmm. And so my whole focus, my whole idea with Eric was I'm going to be the wizard that is like a tank. So I was like doing that. I would like ha- have melee magic and like I would like buff armor. Maybe I wasn't the best wizard ever, but I was a wizard who was in the in the battle. I had HP, I had constitution and I had a pretty high AC. So it, he wasn't like many wizards, but he's certainly my favorite. He was certain he's the most magnificent of the group. He I, was I, he was a lot of fun I to play with too. Much, yeah. And I played him in an ongoing campaign as well when we did the Forge of Fury. Um, my friend ran it, so you know I played him for more than just the, those few games I played with you. What about you, Jerundu? What's the favorite spellcaster you have? Mm, there's a couple to choose from. I guess really, there's, there's only one answer that I can truly provide, and that would be Silas Lancaster. Now, his magical ability is derived from years of study with Alistair Crowley, and involved very much in ritual sex magics. Uh, the recitation of various dark rituals and so on. Many people will tell you that it is evil. However, such talk is entirely without merit. It's un- quite unfounded. It's simply a a, a method by which one can exert one's will. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so <laughs> I got lost in uh, Silas for a minute there. Um, but yes, yeah, Silas, I think. And he's not really... I, I, when we first made the character, he just had a high weird score because he's a vampire. But it was fun to sort of flesh out the backstory that he's been alive a long time. He'd been a friend of Alistair Crowley and Rasputin and various other sort of people from the turn of the last century who were involved in the supernatural. And then it sort of became a thing that he was kind of a bit of a sorcerer in his own right. So yeah, I very, I very much enjoy casting spells as Silas, which 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 I personally <laughs> love because I'm I I play Silas's grand uh, great granddaughter Misty, and so I love the idea that the the magical bloodline came from you, mm-hmm. came yeah, came from Silas. That's my girl, it bred true. <laughs> strong, just strong swimmers in the Lancaster gene pool. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, trust Silas to go there. <laughs> I think with the mentioning of swimmers in the gene pool, that that is an amazing place to stop and thank our sponsors. <laughs> I'll just lower it. This episode of Dice Talk is brought to you by ShadowMarketPins.com. The Shadow Market is an awesome website where you can buy high quality, custom made hard enamel pins that you cannot find anywhere else. The Shadow Market focuses on pins and stickers that often put a twist on popular characters and geek figures such as superheroes, monsters, aliens, anime characters, and other pop culture icons. The Shadow Market also has options for character commissions for Dungeons & Dragons and other tabletop role-playing games. The Shadow Market even offers a monthly subscription box where you can receive the newest custom pins every month for an extremely affordable price. These custom pins are limited edition, and they often sell out very quickly. So make sure that you go to shadowmarketpins.com and check out this month's pins before it's too late. Once again, that is shadowmarketpins.com. Check it out and enter the shadows today. So before we went to break, uh, we talked about a few different things, one being swimmers in a gene pool, but we were also talking about... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, everyone. We were also talking about... <laughs> you are not. Uh, ...people's favorite characters, or at least ones that, at the moment, uh, tend to be their favorite spellcast- spellcaster characters. But now I need to know, uh, so what are some of your favorite spells? So there's three main spells. We have cantrips, we have regular spells, and we have ritual spells. So I think it's only fair we each get to come up with a favorite for each of those categories. Uh, my hmm. favorite cantrip. Well, it's really hard. It's really cheap. I know, but I always pick two, and then I can't. My, I, I had to settle on uh, thaumaturgy. I, I think that's just absolutely my favorite cantrip. You can make your voice really loud. You can make uh, your voice change. You can make your eyes like change color. You can snuff or light flames. You can slam and shut, slam and open doors, slam and open windows. 
Um, you can make like your shadow appear really large. Basically, that's all Gandalf ever casts is the spell thaumaturgy. It's uh, true. And then he does like light once or something, and he like lights a pine cone on fire. It's it's not great, but pyrotechnics. I think pyrotechnics can justifiably be said to have the access to the spell pyrotechnics. Yeah, but he um. I don't know. I feel like Thaumaturgy is just a really, really cool uh, spell. And like before, when I said I like illusions, I know that's not an illusion. You can use it to like trick people and you can use it to uh, find an interesting way through a situation by thinking creatively. And I think that's the reason I like it as my favorite spell or my favorite cantrip spell. What about you? Uh, as far as as far as cantrips go, I think my my favorite has to be uh, Toll the Dead, which we mentioned earlier. Um, because it's such a strategic, uh, uh, cantrip to use. Like all the other attack cantrips that I, that I have and love, um, are just very straightforward. You know, you try to make them make a deck save. If it works, cool. If not, cool. But with Toll the Dead, it's like, who has been injured? Who is threatening my, my people? How do I, how do I play the battlefield chess game? How do I make this turn a little bit more in my party's favor? Without using up a bunch of resources, except my action this turn. Um, so yeah, I I really love Toll the Dead. I think a close second would be Prestidigitation, just so you can make hot tea on 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 the road without having to have anything but a cup of water. Instant hot sauce at all times, um, and you know that kind of stuff. I, I like Prestidigitation too. But I think it would definitely be the I, best spell to have in like a real life situation. Just yeah, just as a general like um, life hack, it would be pretty much unbeatable. Like if you lived in <laughs> yeah. medieval times, the filth and the clean- lack of cleanliness would be like one of the worst parts. And if you I'm had clean. yeah, clean, my food tastes good. Yeah, I I have a rogue character who doesn't have any spells, ex- but but she's a high elf, so she has one cantrip, and so she has prestidigitation, and she uses that to great effect to go from being. Uh, down in the lower city of Baldur's Gate to where she actually lives in the upper city as a noble, where she goes from, I am covered in other people's blood, prestidigitation, 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 to make that go away. What are you trying to do? You've had the longest time to think about it. I, well, I already said mine earlier. Uh, Minor Illusion, I think, is my my favorite cantrip. It's, um, it's extremely versatile. I mean, you can, you can do so many things with it. I have a Kenku character that's, uh, for those that don't know Kenku don't speak normally they can only repeat phrases that they've already heard which for someone who does voices like me that's really fun because i could just mid-sentence change accent uh, and it's fine (laughs) but i also used minor illusion um to help as like as something he would use to uh, help communicate so he could like make uh like little cartoon dioramas appear showing like pantomiming things that he wanted to do or concepts that he wanted to uh, demonstrate but it's also good for like using sneaky things you could like be solid snake and make us make it sound like someone's just uh had some footsteps or something going around the corner you use it to distract guards or you know manifest sort of distractions and you know little little things like that i think as a as an aid to um uh doing any number of other things you can just sort of facilitate things quite easily and being able to do it as often as you like is really op i think for what it is that's what makes cantrips awesome they're my favorite i mean i like them more than a lot of more powerful spells because you can use them again and again and again and yeah the, the, then the only limit really becomes to is to your own creativity is how you can um, best sort of hack that um uh cantrip but i think that's more sort of representative of what people are like with their own skills they tend to sort of focus on one uh on, unless you're a particularly exceptional individual people just sort of tend to focus on like one minor aspect like me twiddling my pen around right now um <laughs> it's just something that i do and i would like do that a lot because i feel compelled to so and i can and if i could do minor illusion all the time then and i will I would. <laughs> yeah, i will i don't care how <laughs> it affects the audio i'm gonna bug my microphone a few times now um yeah, it, I think if you can do, you know, if you do little things that sort of um, you enjoy <laughs> or like or little demonstrations of skill or dexterity or whatever, if you've got access to magic and you can just do that all the time, then you would, <laughs> basically. Well, yeah. And and, and I, just, I just got access to another uh, cleric cantrip in the Chaos Agents game. And I, I've, after watching other people use it, 
I, I had to grab guidance because it's not great in combat situations. It's not a good use of the action economy. But outside of combat, suddenly everyone gets a plus D4 to every check they ever make. Yeah. Yeah. Because why wouldn't you? I'm, I'm, I'm here to offer you a little bit of guidance from the goddess. Why not? Well, exactly. It doesn't. It costs you literally nothing. Is it? <laughs> so <laughs> might as well. And it gives us that little bit of an edge in situations where I mean, we do try to talk our way out of situations a lot, mm-hmm. and in, in in situations like that, it's good to have you know the face character get a little bit of a boost to charisma. Depending on how bad you've been, those uh, those D4s can really come in handy. Uh, just tip the balance on a D6. That's accurate. <laughs> we actually had a, we actually had a, had a back and forth uh, last uh, last night with wh- where where I was adding a D four to to other people's checks mm-hmm. to try and help with things, and it was like it helped. It was great. What about your favorite spell? So like a regular spell. I know there's a lar- a, a very you know large array of options, but if you could think of one that's not a cantrip, that's just a regular spell, what do you think you would choose? I mean, the immediate answer is, of course, fireball, but we've discussed <laughs> that to death. <clears throat> uh, other than that, my favorite is probably Crown of Stars. What's that, dude? I'm not familiar. No, I'm Crown of Stars either. is great. So it's a, it's either a sixth or a seventh level um, uh, spell. It's, it's high level. So I have it on my 15th level sorcerer right now. Um, but basically, you use an action to cast it. And then you have seven motes of light that spin around your head in a literal crown of stars. And as a bonus action, you can take one and throw it as as a spell attack. And it's like, I want to say it's 3d10 radiant damage as a bonus action. Wow. Yeah. How, but what, what level spell is it? Do you know? Is it pretty I high I think level? it's seventh. Mm-hmm. That I makes th- sense. You're, you're burning a high level slot on that bonus action attack. Mm-hmm. Now, but I mean, can you do that every turn, or how long does that last? You can do it for as long as they, for as long as they last, and they last up to an hour. Wow, that is that sounds yeah. like a level spell. It is very much so, and I mean, it's it's from Xanathar's because yes, uh, but yeah, it lasts it lasts for an hour, and it gives Xanathar's you guide to yes, <laughs> Xanathar's guide too. I'm going to break the game now. Oh no! Excuse me. It is four d twelve radiant damage on a hit. Wow! As a bonus action. Wow! And wow. and and also for for uh, Annika who doesn't have dark vision, it it gives you light as it you know circles around your head. So if you have four or more uh, motes remaining, it's bright light in a thirty foot radius and dim for thirty more. So it's just like one of one of my favorite power moves as Annika, who is a divine soul sorcerer is um she's at a level now where she has divine wings so she will uh bonus action conjure her wings action cast crown of stars and then movement fly straight up and survey the battlefield that sounds like a really (laughs) really amazing (laughs) it's a lot of fun to do and then she also has a holy avenger the long sword at her hip my other my other sorcerer character who uses a long sword i have two now because that's a thing. What about you, Jordan? Um, Were you able to conjure up an answer? Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah. Uh, true polymorph. Uh, again, I mentioned it earlier, but you can turn a chair into a silver dragon for an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's insane. Like you can turn, you can turn an inanimate object or a, a living creature into anything that's challenge rating nine or less, which is just absurdly high. Just absolutely um, insane. Yeah, a fire giant, for instance, a silver dragon, blue dragon, cloud giant, a glabrazu. Oh my god! <laughs> what if you were doing like uh, what we talked about the other day with like it wasn't something super high level and you did like a gibbering mouth there and now they are running off into lava yeah exactly because you, you turned you, just, you turned a you know backpack someone into drops a penny and you turned it into a gibbering mouth there that makes everybody right. run in random directions and stuff like it's just insane like possibilities for just sort of throwing things into complete general disarray mm-hmm. plus I, I you know I'm of, of an age where I grew up on Transformers and animorphs and stuff like that so you know anything that involves transformation is like yes please i like a bit of that (laughs) i think mine um 
and it's so hard to choose because it's like it's like someone saying what's your favorite song or your favorite movie or something there's so many options but oh yeah i i, I went with spider climb as my answer that's a really good and one too i just think it's so useful mm. and i like how you, you can cast on somebody else if you want to and i like it's just so amazing um in a lot of fights if you're fighting a dragon in a cave or something if you're like well can walk on the ceiling suddenly uh, it being able to fly around a little bit isn't quite a detriment for you. I don't know. It's just a really cool spell, and I think you can you could piss off a DM pretty easily when, <laughs> when you walk up the tower instead of going through. That's it. a thinking player's thinking player's spell. One hundred percent spider climb. It's a very very useful utility spell. But if I was a DM, that's when I would say, "Oh, those statues are gargoyles." <laughs> <laughs> well, aren't you glad that you don't play with yourself sometimes? Yeah. Well. Uh. Yeah, I don't, I've never done solo rolling like Adam. Move on from that, Jerundu. I heard what I said, and we're not we're not going doing it. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've watched Adam roll his bones. Um, that's, <laughs> that's another story for another time. Please keep Cause. please keep us on the network. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like we keep mentioning a lot of almost stereotypical spellcaster types mm-hmm. um like we're wizards and sorcerers and warlocks those are probably the main but you know clerics and paladins they cast spells rangers druids cast spells rogues like an arcane trickster a bard cast spells but i think we should not go into detail with those and instead go into detail with the newest member of the family the artificer oh yes because the artificer it, it, to me is is a true spellcaster in the in the way a wizard sorcerer or warlock is i would say a druid is as well mm-hmm. and then i think uh the ranger bard cleric paladin rogue are kind of a little bit off to the side um but i think an artificer is worth talking about it it's it's pretty new to dungeons and dragons yeah at least the fifth edition it is, and, and and it makes me really happy that they that we finally have another intelligence based spellcasting class because forever it has been just wizards and eldritch knights, as far as I know. I don't think I don't know if there's any other archetype that really uses intelligence as a basis for it. Not really. I mean, like in in third ed, intelligence was more important in relation to sort of like applying skill points, and there were, it was useful for rogues to be intelligent for that reason. Uh, but in fifth fifth ed, there's there wasn't a lot unless you were going to be a wizard. There was not an awful lot of incentive to pick an intelligence based character, which right. is a bit of a shame. Um, People use it as a dump stat. A lot, yeah, uh, like, I I use it as a dump stat almost all the time. I mean, well, why wouldn't you? Me- mechanically for the game, uh, you know that makes sense unless you're playing a wizard or or now mm-hmm. an artificer. Um, which is a, a very interesting sort of application of, you know, magic to sort of making steampunk kind of devices. Or, I mean, depends on how you want to skin it. I mean, that's how um, Ubo uh, kind of does it and uh, Quickness of Turtle in uh, uh, Halfway to Heroes. They they sort of have, like, steampunky devices and robots and things. But, I mean, you could manifest that through, like, alchemy or, you know, sort of, like, chemical or biological engineering even. You know, well, it's because it comes from the Eberron source book, and like mm-hmm. you were saying earlier, Eberron is kind of this futuristic kind of take on magic where it is the technology. It's it's like a we're leaning into sci fi when we start using and thinking of magic in that way, where it's, yeah, the whole world is ran by by uh by magic and it's just part of like the infrastructure of like ur- these urbanized cities, and it's awesome. And like you said, artificers are like that. But I think it would be fun to to kind of come up with a new way to look at it. Uh, my friend, he went with one where it was more like it was all about making biological creatures and things. Mm-hmm. So when he cast acid spray, he like pulled out this little creature that would spit the acid out. Or he had, I mean, technically he had all these little pets with him and, and it was kind of a rule of cool in a way. But in another way, I mean, he wasn't abusing it. It was just like, it was cool the way he described things. But I think it'd be fun to take something like an artificer, which doesn't cast spells normally instead they create things that have magical effects and i think it um i think that'd be really cool to be like you know you're making these little homunculi essentially sure do magical effects sure i mean i had an artificer character for my birthday stream and i brought him back for the charity stream as well uh called dutch matrix was uh, a gray dwarf artificer gunslinger and the way that he used his 
artificial skills was to make grenades for his underslung grenade launcher. So he'd have like poison spray, fireball or whatever. It would come from the, the grenade launcher. So that was how it worked. I, I would love to create an artificer who's like Honey Lemon from, from uh, Big Hero 6, where basically you have like the, these balls of whatever um, chemicals, sure. stop it, the, 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 these, these balls of chemicals that, that you come up with and, you know, you can, you can pick one up and you throw it and it's a fireball. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that kind of make, you know, makes sense. It's, it's fun. It's in a different way to, you know, you're, you kind of, I don't want to use that phrase, the tropey phrase of mad scientist, because it has, it's not very PC, but it, it gives you, you know, it gives you an avenue to sort of explore that kind of like inventor. Why is he so angry? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, it gives you, it gives you an avenue to explore that kind of uh, aspect of, um, you know, um, vibrant intellectual exploration and the sort of quirkiness of that. How we can get hung up on certain topics and get fascinated in certain uh, with certain things and processes. So, like you say, with the biological character, like I am modifying themselves or like creating symbiotes or homunculi, homunculi or whether that's tinkering with a grenade launcher under slug on a musket or um working on different potions and tinctures and mixtures and chemicals and however you know magic approached as a science which is you know a really interesting thing to to consider well and 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 i love that that view on magic in in a magical world where where magic is as much a part of the world as gravity or light having someone who like picks at the the weave and tries mm-hmm. to figure out how to make it work for them it makes it feel more real in a way that i really love it's kind of like speculative science fiction in a way it's the, a little bit yeah you're sort of saying well if if we posit a world in which magic exists given what how we've ad- like adapted to uh technology as and you know the laws of physics and reality as they exist in our uh, in our world how would we have developed and i think that's a that's a cool question to answer it is and, our, and artificers are really fun with it yeah mm, absolutely so what would you think so there's all sorts of kind of there's like the the mainstream type casters that we've been talking about and then there's a lot of different ways that you can make more interesting spellcasters and maybe they're arguably not the the best build but they are certainly cool in a yeah, lot of screw ways screw the best screw the quote right? best build that's where i'm at like i'm to the point where i'm just here to like oh wait we're playing dozen dragons we should roll it's been 45 minutes you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> but um we're just doing theater here but um there's like things like a war caster, which is awesome. There's like a blade singer. Um, and then there's like twin casters with sorcerers. There's a lot of options. Uh, what do you think is the most interesting build you can think of? And this could be like a multi-class type thing if you want, or um, uh, maybe the most powerful, kind of the most broken, or just something that'd be fun to play. My roommate is doing an artificer who's also, who's multi-class with a arcane archer. And so he went with the steel, the steel defender and he's in, we're doing Chris Estrade. So he went with the steel defender. Um, and he said, he's like this giant, uh, essentially like a steel emu that is next to him <laughs> that he like travels with. And then he's like this super stealthy, um, like archer that can do like these flaming arrows and ice arrows and bomb arrows and his uh he took this thing from eberron where it's like mark of the shadow so he can also like go invisible once per day but then he also has the spell invisibility so he's just invisible like all the time essentially and uh it's pretty crazy so he'll like send his steel defender out to attack and then he's ambushing him from like being invisible with like arcane arrows and it, once again it's not the most broken you know spellcaster build but it's certainly awesome so like what what do you think are some favorites of yours that you can think of uh, the first one that, that that comes to my mind is one that I'm working on building for a Descent into Avernus uh, campaign. It is a a rogue bard mix. Um, I spent the that does sound broken actually. It's broken and it's awesome because like I'm I'm playing a swashbuckler rogue and we just hit uh fifth level, which is where I took the first level of bard, and she's she's going to be a swashbuckler College of Swords. Those are two uh, subclasses that play very, very well together. And I really want to see how it plays out because now I have a rogue who is already 
kind of amazing in her way because she like runs in, stabs, runs back out and is and then and then hides behind a corner to to stab the next person who comes around. She's she she flits around the battlefield. It's great. And now she's going to have uh spellcasting abilities with her sword as her focus. Wow. She's like a fighter that can sing. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and 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 sneakier and faster and with like she's She's a little bit broken, and I'm really having a lot of fun playing her. Um, we'll see how it works out when she actually goes when we're actually in Avernus. But I have talked the dungeon master into eventually giving me a sunblade, which <laughs> yeah, it's a lightsaber. But because she's an elf, she's proficient with long swords, and it's a finesse weapon. Sounds good. That sounds awesome. It's broken, and I love it. And mostly because, like, the mental image of an elf being in Avernus, like this dark hellfire place with a sword made out of pure light. Just the mental image of it alone is great. As long as you have the high ground, <laughs> you have to have the high ground. It's the only way it works. How about you, Georgia? <laughs> I have the high ground. What about you, Sharon? Do you have any builds? That come to you know, not really. I don't tend to play a lot of spellcasters. Not because I don't want to. It's just because I'm kind of easy breezy when it comes to um, parties. So I'll just pick whatever nobody else wants to play, yeah. generally. Um, having said that, I played a warlock for the first time with... Um, Jackdaw, my character for Curse of Strad, who is the um, Kenku I was talking about, and the using the the fact that you can't talk like uh, everybody else can, and then trying to find, trying to think of ways that his magical abilities would he would use his magical abilities to sort of um, make his life more accessible rather than what's going to give me the best combat boosts or, you know, buffs or whatever. It's like, what spells would he have to make his life easier just on the on the day-to-day? And then sort of playing the character that way um, was really satisfying, actually. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. And I think that's something that people should think about in character creation, maybe a little more. I think the more, especially when, you know, when you become a bit of an old hand um, and you've played in a lot of games, I think that that aspect of the game becomes more appealing as it becomes sort of more uh, performative rather than uh, war gamey. And you feel more comfortable exploring that aspect of it. Normally I don't go for trying to make some ridiculous broken build, but the one I'm going to talk about today uh, is actually a super broken build. And um, so one time I played a warlock named velis and velis was a minotaur but it wasn't your standard bull minotaur he was a stag so he's very tall and skinny and had antlers instead of the traditional horns uh and it was kind of about speed and not strength um but i was also multi-classed with the sorcerer and i was playing what is known as a coffee lock have either of you heard of a i've heard lock? of this I have not. So basically, it's called a coffee lock because, much like myself in real life, you just don't need, and you, Jerundo, you don't need to sleep. Um, ah. So ah, the way it works now is I you, you don't take any long rests, basically ever. And that sounds right. As a, as a, uh, essentially, what you're going to do is convert your spell slots into sorcery points, mm-hmm. and they last until you take a long rest. And then you can take a short rest to regain all your spell slots as a warlock, but you haven't taken a long rest yet. So you still have retained all those sorcery points. So then you take your new spell slots that you just regenerated and convert them into sorcery points. And you do that again and again and again. And while they take one long rest, you take eight short rests. So you can essentially create 16 additional slots. Um, and, And what you do is you convert all these temporary spell slots after the rests are done back into temporary sorcery points. And you can do that back and forth. So essentially you've given yourself 16 additional spell slots or up to 32 sorcery points. Who the, who the so fuck came up with that? You. Bethesda. Like, <laughs> it's it's Skyrim. So it's up to you to decide how to use that. 
uh, dangerous knowledge, but that's just <laughs> that's capping it at eight. As, as many short rests as your DM's going to let you get along, uh, get a, you know, get away with. Goodness me! You can keep creating these uh, extra spell slots and extra sorcery mm-hmm. points. And for me, I when I played this, I just said, like, I'm never going to do this except while they're taking a long rest and I'll cap it at the 16. And even that's a little broken, but it was like, yeah, I wasn't like, yeah, and I'll kidding. just do it again and I'll just do it again and I'll just do it again. But it, they they last until you take the long rest. So until you take the long rest, you're you know, you're good. And it's just kind of ridiculous. Now, eventually you'll take a long rest. Maybe if you have a DM who uh, and this goes out to DMs out there, just start imposing um what is it called? Exhaustion. Yeah. yeah to start imposing exhaustion for every 24 hours they go without a, sh- a long rest. But that still gives them they can pull this Even off. Even so. Yeah. That's still, that's still crazy. <laughs> that's crazy powerful. Yeah. And that's a coffee lock. And uh, it, it, honestly, it is a little broken. I did like playing that character, but mainly just because I had a familiar that was a closet and its name was Zarbanoff. And uh, Zarmanov was, was really was really really cool because he could like transform and all this stuff. Uh, so I like playing that character, but that's probably that's definitely the most like calculated build I've ever like. Yeah one one of the builds that I've heard about that is apparently very broken is a sorcerer paladin build because you have all of the sorcerer spell slots that you can do divine smites with. Divine smite broken. Is- OP. Yeah, and especially as you get higher and higher level, you could also potentially mix uh warlock and and paladin because they both play off of charisma. Absolutely. And you're you're you have fewer spell slots, sure, but they get exponentially more powerful. And you don't really need that many spell slots when you can also just kick the shit out of anything you come into contact with and in, exactly. in full play. I mean like I playing Reggie, um as a <laughs> the good boy i am the good boy sweet reggie sweet i miss reggie. reggie it's been a while um but yeah i mean playing him as a level 12 in that um uh stream um i did a while back was interesting uh, <laughs> multi-classing reggie would be also potentially quite funny but um his face is true to the shiny boy, so I don't think. <laughs> I don't think maybe there'll be a campaign where he gets tainted. Yeah, he part warlock. You just can't. You just can't tell the difference between shiny boy and his patron. I guess that would work. Becomes the grimy boy. The gr- shiny deep. boy. Oh. You need a wash, shiny boy. I mean, you 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 could be a celestial warlock. So then you're still sworn to I a shiny like person. Some th- hideously evil being is somehow manipulating the sweetest boy in the world uh, to go off and do that would be so sad we'd have to go we'd have to go on a redemption arc to save it to save reggie hello friend i am here to burn your village for good things (laughs) boy did i do a bad i'm sorry that's uh that's the reginald fetlock smith for uh for those of you who don't know uh i'll stop Doing quite so many referen- self-referential jokes, I promise. <laughs> um, um, but uh, also, it's to encourage you to watch our streams and listen to our other podcasts. Because if you're not doing that, then uh, there's obviously you're lacking in fundamental taste. Uh, so, or knowledge. I mean, they might they might just not no, know yet. No, no, there's no excuse. We are uh, <laughs> ubiquitous. Uh, no. But seriously, but seriously, folks, I love you all. Please keep listening. So that is actually all the time that we have for this episode. Um, we actually ran over a little bit, so it's kind of a long one. Before we go, um, would either of you, is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? Just like one last uh, word of wisdom or anything you want them to just retain? If they only took one thing out of this episode, what would you like them to remember? I would say th- think th- th- think very seriously about about how your 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 when you're playing a spellcaster, think about how how to describe it, what makes your magic special to your character, and how does your character inform the way that that you influence the world? And think about the consequences because you are shaping the world around you with your will. And that is a scary, scary thing if you think about it from a storytelling perspective. So if your focus is if your focus is more combat, have fun, whatever. But if you're thinking more of like the character and the story, definitely think about how it's going to affect your character, the characters around you, and the world that you are 
possibly leaving as a ruined wasteland. Very insightful. I don't think I can really top that. So instead, I'm going to sort of go kind of brony on you and say, like, friendship is magic? I don't know, or something like that. Isn't that the thing? Isn't that the My Little Pony thing? It is. It, it is. is indeed. So there you go. Um, magic is friendship. As always, I just wanted to take some time to say thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope that our discussions were able to entertain and inspire you. Do you have an idea for a guest you'd like to hear us interview? Or perhaps a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the show? We want to hear about it. You can send us comments, questions, or just say hi by going to DiceTalkPod.com. There, you can stay up to date on all the latest Dice Talk news and streaming schedules. Also, be sure to go to MajesticGoose.com where you can check out all the awesome tabletop shows that we offer on the network. If you want to find us on social media, you can do so on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search Dice Talk and start following us today. You can also get in touch with us by sending us an email to DiceTalkShow at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. They really help to get us to the top of the charts so that we can reach as many listeners as possible. Leaving us a review lets us know how you feel and it is the best way that you can support the show right now. Don't forget to tell your friends about us and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. I'll talk to you next time on Dice Talk. A Majestic Goose Podcast. Talk. Talk.